Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Discover Strength Podcast. I'm your host, Logan Emmett Hurley. I'm an ACSM and HIT Uni certified personal trainer with Discover Strength. Let's face it, busy people don't have time to waste on exercise that doesn't work. The Discover Strength Podcast focuses on bringing on the best minds in the field of evidence-based exercise, so you can look and feel your best in a fraction of the time. Thank you for joining us, and please enjoy this week's episode of the Discover Strength Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Discover Strength Podcast. I'm your host, Logan Emmett Hurley. I'm so excited uh, for a slightly different episode today, joined by our CEO of Discover Strength, Luke Carlson, and one of our favorite researchers out in the UK, Dr. James Steele. Now, we recently, uh, for many of our clients and listeners who may remember, published a paper uh, about a research study that our clients actually participated in. A lot of our listeners participated in this, uh, this research paper a few months back. Gosh, James, how long ago were we actually doing this? What part of the pandemic were we getting people? It was pretty much 12 months ago now, so it's pretty much the, uh, you know, right at the beginning of the first lockdown. So a lot of you may remember yep, getting these questions through Solent University, and this uh, research paper has just recently been published in the Journal of Sports Medicine, and James is the lead author on the paper. So uh, for those of you who do remember, we're so excited to finally kind of parse out some of this data and discuss some of the findings. So James, let's just uh, kick it off here. Welcome, first off. And uh, what was kind of the impetus for this paper? What created this idea in your mind that you wanted to, to send out this survey about a year ago now? Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, to start off with, I should uh, should certainly give credit to uh, Dr. Fisher because I think it was actually initially his idea to uh, to start this project off. And um, and once once the idea came over to me, then I kind of got excited and, and, and ran away with it. Um, but, I, you know, Obviously, lockdown had a huge impact on everyone worldwide last year. You know, the, the, the impact of the pandemic has, has reverberated um, throughout society. Um, and one sector that was heavily impacted was, you know, the, uh, the fitness and leisure sector, because a number of facilities or pretty much every facility um, had to close down. Um, and this was the case across, you know, numerous countries, um, both in the US uh, for you guys and in the UK um, and many other countries as well. So we, we were interested, um, obviously there's a lot of interest in trying to understand how to get people engaged in physical activity, um, but more interesting um, and, and probably a harder question is how do you, how do people stick to uh, being engaged with, um, you know, physical activity or resistance training more specifically. Um, and so actually it was a really interesting opportunity. We kind of had a natural experiment happening worldwide that we were all kind of involuntarily participating in where we could see, well, what, what happens when you take away one of the, um, the typical locations that people would engage in resistance training and, and how does that adapt? How do people adapt um, to that situation? Um, so yeah, so we were, we were just very curious to see um, what impact was this lockdown going to have on people's behaviors? Would people like stop cold turkey? Would they adapt and train at home or in other locations? How would they train the actual specific, uh, change the actual specifics of their training program? So load sets, reps, um, intensity of effort, the modalities of training they were using. Um, did they change the way they planned or monitored their training? Um, and generally kind of what were their perceptions of um, 
of their previous training compared to their of their current training compared to their previous training. So yeah, so it it was it was a really rare opportunity to learn a little bit about um you know what what makes people tick um with respect to resistance training participation. I love that. And now when we look at the list of the 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 co-authors on this paper, I mean it's essentially a greatest hits for evidence-based exercise. I mean this is like the now that's what I call evidence-based researchers. Uh so many amazing authors on here. Um, how did that kind of happen? And, and I'd love to talk just a little bit about how this thing sort of snowballed, right? You guys started with what were the original intentions for the amount of people you were hoping to get participate and what did it end up looking like? Because I think this is so interesting, just how, um, excited people were to share how the pandemic affected, uh, their resistance training. Yeah, well, so like I said, you know, I think the original inception of the idea came from uh, from Dr. Fisher. Um, he started off a an email chain, um, including uh, uh, Luke and myself uh, and um, a number of other uh, researchers, including uh, Professor Stuart Phillips, um, Dave Smith, uh, Dr. Dave Smith at Manchester Met, uh, Dr. Brad Schoenfeld, Dr. Jeremy Lonecki, uh, Dr. Richard Winnett, and um, and it was from there that we kind of like really, it, I mean, this is how research kind of actually happens, how the, how the ideas develop. It's generally kind of people get excited about the opportunity to do something. And to be fair, it was nice to be, be excited about something, given everything we went through last year, uh, this opportunity to, to answer some really interesting questions. And so, you know, that, that initial group hashed the ideas out back and forth. We refined um, what the survey questions would look like. We really wanted to make sure that the way we were kind of designing and asking the questions had um, good ecological validity. So they were really asking like the questions that we would want to know as experts in resistance training and, um, you know, that really related to the way people actually train. So we were asking questions about the, the resistance training variables um, specifically um, as we kind of define them. And, um, and, you know, and we also, one thing to say as well is we were very kind of like... Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking looking for? We we were quite progressive in terms of the way we we actually conducted this study um, because we engaged in uh, what are kind of typically referred to as open science practices. So we we set up our study, we worked out how many participants we would need for that study, and we designed the survey, and then we pre-registered that study. So before we started doing it, we publicly registered, we're going to do this study, um, we're going to report the findings, whatever they are. Um, and then we also, upon collecting all the data, made all the data openly available so that's it's there, people can check it, check the analysis and all of the stuff that we've done. So it's really open and transparent in that uh, respect. Um, but yeah, once we once we kind of had that survey laid out, um, I, Luke, I can't remember whose idea it was initially. I think it was James's, uh, Dr. Fisher's again, to... Um, to look at the option, to, uh, the opportunity to actually engage with the wider community of resistance training researchers worldwide um, and work on translations of the survey so that we can get a better idea kind of internationally of what's going on. Um, and, and so and all of that happened really quickly. I mean, we, yeah. <laughs> we were, were talking to a few hundred of our clients. You guys send off a few emails and, uh, you know, I look at the author list and it's, it's of course, North America and Canada. But I mean, we're looking at Italy and I mean, we, we're, we're, we're uh, translated into what, like six different languages or eight different languages by the time this was, was published. So that email exchange, everything uh, escalated really, really quickly in a really positive way. And, and let me just add this and Logan said it, but I just have to emphasize it. The list of authors are absolutely the who's who. I mean, these are some of the best 
academic exercise scientists and some just brilliant uh, sport and exercise psychologists uh, in this group as well. So, and uh, let's make sure we're clear in giving James Steele the credit because you are the first author. James Fisher turned out to be the last author. It's uh, it's classic James Fisher that he has an idea and passes it off to you and says, you, you got to run with this. And uh, this is a, a great project. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it was, uh, we won't get into the details of it, but it was a a statistically challenging project to work on as well um because because of the because of the pace of the pandemic and how quickly we had to in order to, to to see what was happening we had to keep pace with things as they were changing so we had to get the study designed out collect the data um and yeah it, it, there, there were some things that were kind of went unanticipated in terms of how to analyze that data once we got hold of it and it was pretty complicated but um it was it was worthwhile i learned a lot doing it um both in terms of the results and and just the process of going through such a big, uh, you know, it's fair to say it was a kind of international consortium of, of um, experts in this area working on this big project. Um, yeah, yeah, like nothing so, we've, uh, we've seen before. So let's get into um, what the results are. So, so I know you talk about a paper, uh, a study that looks at 400 adults found that health club members, so if you belong to a gym of some kind, you are 10 times more likely to engage in strength training compared to people who do not belong to a health club or a gym. And so my take home from that study is if you don't belong to a gym or a studio, the chances that you are meeting the uh, recommended amount of resistance training are very, very low. So now we've all been, uh, our ability to get into a gym has been completely eliminated. And what do we find out, James? So do you know what? It was actually pretty surprising. Um, I mean, I, I don't know what you thought, Luke, but but going into this, I did not expect to see um, the proportion of people that we did see continue engaging in resistance training. Um, like I expected it to be a lot lower. I expected there to be a more substantial dropout, um, even if only for the short term, uh, where people maybe kind of stop training because they thought the gyms will be closed for a short period of time, can take a break, get back into things. Um, but actually, the vast eighty-two percent, eighty-two percent of people continued to. Uh, strength training. Yeah, absolutely. So, and and the reason for that is people were able to adapt the way they were actually training. Um, and actually, the results in that respect are probably not that surprising um, in terms of sort of like the location where people trained. Obviously, um, the vast majority of people, you know, as as kind of supported by that that um, study you mentioned just now, um, were training in uh, privately owned uh, gym facilities. Um, after lockdown, obviously, very few people were training in those environments. Um, some people still were, you know, maybe there were people like uh, you guys who are fortunate enough to to, uh, to still be able to get into the facilities, being that yeah, you uh, own them and work there. But yeah, the, I mean, the vast majority of people shifted to training at home, um, which makes complete sense because we were all stuck at home. Um, and as a result, obviously, you know, a lot of the typical um, methods of training were at least modalities of training were not accessible for people. So people don't have a line of medics and Nautilus machines <laughs> sat in their in their front uh, front living room to use. Some people uh, so. do. <laughs> Rick, Rick, yeah, no. I'm thinking of Rick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Some people have got two rooms full of them. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah, so obviously the vast majority of people, um, you know, shifted to training primarily with free weights and body weight uh, training, which makes complete sense. You know, um, people have got, uh, I mean, everyone's got access to the body, to their body weight um, and people typically, you know, had access to, uh, to free weights or they made purchases um, to ensure that they have that equipment available um, so that they could continue to train at home. Um, interestingly, actually, um, the results suggested that people were quite good at anticipating what was coming and it seemed as though a lot of people um, purchased equipment prior to lockdown actually kicking in. Um, so it's almost like, uh, and, and actually when you look at kind of trends of, um, of sales of gym equipment running prior to uh, lockdown, there was a, a steep increase in terms of sales across the sector. Um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of the actual training protocols that people engaged in, they actually remained largely the same with only minor kind of um, changes to them. So most people kept the same kind of set volumes that they were using. Most people were training at the same sort of frequencies. Um, the main things that changed were the, um, the repetition ranges that people were using, um, which kind of makes sense. So there was a slight increase um, in the probability of people training with higher rep ranges, which seems logical because uh, for most people who were previously who were previously engaged in resistance training body weight training is normally quite a relative quite relatively low load compared to say some of the training that they might be doing with free weights or machines and even for those who were training with free weights I mean, storing free weights at home, I can say, you know, it takes up a lot of space. So people maybe don't have access to as much weight as they uh, would like to if they were training in a gym facility with free weights. So it makes sense that people were shifting to more um, higher repetition ranges. Um, but actually, people's training practices themselves were pretty robust and people were able to kind of maintain what they were doing. One big thing that we noticed, though, was that um, there was a reduction in motivation towards training. Um, there was a reduction in the um, reported intensity of effort during training, not a huge reduction, but a small reduction. Um, and that also coincided with people being less likely to plan or record their training during lockdown. Um, and this is all quite interesting because in, in terms of different psychological theories around uh, behavior change, one of the consistent factors across the many kind of disparate theories around that is that, um, perceived autonomy and ability to kind of like um, control and choose the behaviors that you engage in and why you engage in them is a really big factor. And uh, what lockdown did essentially was it forced people to have to change the way they train. Um, and as a result, people changed their goals um, because they maybe felt that the way they were training now wasn't as optimal for the goals they had previously. Um, and this, we, we kind of um, speculate that this kind of like enforced change to people's, um, you know, the goals that they want to pursue and the way that they pursue those goals um, impacted on people's motivation, impacted on their, um, the effort that they put into training. So while people generally trained in a relatively similar way, um, the perceptions around that training were, were impacted more so. So lower motivation, lower effort, um, lower perceived um, enjoyment um and also you know a lower likelihood of continuing that current training so it did suggest that people did want to kind of get back to the training they were doing previously as well uh, to lockdown. Um, on that point james just talking about enjoyment specifically i think it's important here to kind of note 
for our clients, at least in general at Discover Strength, we've noticed something that's actually gone totally counterintuitive to that trend. So I, I'm sure in the broad scope of this paper, a lot of people who didn't maybe have access to something like Discover Strength virtual training were getting pretty sick of just doing push-ups and pull-ups or whatever it might have been on their own. Um, but I think our clients know, and we've definitely seen as a company, and Luke, please feel free to jump in on this, that the enjoyment level that we've had from clients and the experience has been exceptional for the most part. I mean, people have been loving their virtual training so much that we have people who actually have access to the gym again who still prefer just the convenience of being at home. Yeah. So, and we're not going to have to twist uh, Dr. Steele's arm to believe that because <laughs> uh, all of our listeners, Dr. Steele is uniquely for like the last 10 years, he is the international body weight training guru uh, with access to gyms and sophisticated equipment. He still does the majority of his workouts at home with body weight weight and some other apparatuses that he's built. Um, so you can follow him on Instagram and watch some of his workouts, but it's like he was preparing for a pandemic 10 years in advance. <laughs> and we used to make fun of him. We used to say, Hey, James, there's a uh, medical medics machine that you could use to strengthen that muscle in your laboratory. And uh, little did we know that he was just preparing for a pandemic that was uh, 10 years on the horizon. So he was uh, ahead of his time. In so it was many my uh, zombie zombie apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's right. So, so I, I think maybe now is a good time for us to tease the fact that we did a, a small trial, and uh, Dr. Steele just got done running all the statistics on it. Where when we were shut down for the second time, we did a, a, a little study with uh, almost all of our trainers, where we did a crossover design of virtual training and in-studio training, and they did strength tests and bot pod tests. And uh, I don't want to say too much about that, but Dr. Steele has just run the analysis and will uh, come out with these results really soon. And, and, and hopefully Dr. Steele will have you back on the podcast and talk about that. But I'll just kind of tease it and say the results for both virtual and in-studio were really solid and that the virtual really was right there with the in-studio. But we'll go into more detail on that when we have you on again to discuss that that paper. I'm saying paper because I think we're going to turn into a paper, but it was a really fun project for our staff. And I'm excited to share the results with, with uh, all of our clients. And yeah, I mean, super, super excited to see that work as well. Dr. Steele, the last thing I, I really want to chat with you about before we get you guys both out of here today is just any of our clients that maybe didn't participate uh, in that first time survey, do would they have access to this follow-up survey that's just gone out? Or for people who did participate the first time that maybe haven't filled out that survey yet, um, just tell us a little bit about the follow-up survey, how people can, can get involved with that if they're interested. Yeah, sure. So, so the, the follow-up survey is limited to those who were, who engaged in the first survey. Um, we're at about a 20% response rate at the moment. So um, there's still a lot of people that we need to, to complete those surveys. Um, a few reminders have gone out and we'll be sending out a couple more um, we're going to continue um, leaving the survey open until the end of May. Um, so we've essentially got like a 12 month, just over 12 month follow up, um, because we really want to see particularly those who um, dropped out of training previously, maybe did they return to training afterwards? Um, so yeah, so anyone who took part in the first phase of surveys, who's not yet completed um, the follow up survey, check your emails, and uh, there should be a uh, an email from uh, from ourselves with a link to the follow-up survey in there. And it's essentially the same. Uh, there's a couple of uh, 
of uh, slightly different questions, but really we're looking to see like, is your training the same? You know, have you continued training? Um, if you stopped training, have you got back into training? Um, and, and those kinds of things. So we can really look at those longer term behavior changes and maybe start to see whether there was anything um, at the beginning of lockdown that might help us predict kind of how people's uh, behaviors change over the longer term. Um, it's also worth saying as well that, and, and this, this data will come out um, at a later stage because it takes a bit longer to go through, but we're also conducting a lot of qualitative data um, analysis as well. So during that first phase, um, I can't remember off the top of my head um, whether any Discover Strength clients took part in this, but um, we conducted a number of interviews as well with people who continue training and those who stop training. So we've uh, got some more kind of like uh, richer, in-depth, qualitative information. And we're currently doing follow-up interviews with those um, individuals as well. So there's going to be a few more papers coming from this work um, in, the, uh, in the, the near future. That's super exciting. And I'm sure there's lots of other uh, potential findings that could be taken out of these surveys. So, so really interesting and uh, amazing work as always, James. And please give other James our regards as well. And um, Luke, is there anything I'm missing before we, we kind of wrap this up? I think this no, is just... I, I would love to just wrap up and say thank you to all of our clients who, who no. filled this out. Um, I mean, the survey came out right away and we got updates and there was like hundreds of people filled it out right away. So thank you to everybody that participated in this. And thank you to Dr. Steele to have the vision to conduct a project like this. He never said it, but his mantra, I, I don't know if this is a Churchill, but since you're in the UK, I'm going to say it's Churchill. Uh, never let a crisis go to waste. I mean, you were all over this. And uh, I think this adds a significant, uh, significant value to the body of research. So thank you. And Logan, thanks for having us on and letting us join. Of course. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We're so excited to share this paper with you when it comes out. Thank you, Luke. Thank you, James. Dr. Steele, we will see you guys again soon. Thank you all so much for joining us today. We hope you continue to tune in to catch up on the most important information in the field of evidence-based exercise. If you love the Discover Strength podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Please feel free to reach out to me at logan at discoverstrength.com for comments or guest ideas. Please also like and subscribe on all your favorite podcasting platforms. Help us spread the word of smart, efficient training, and we'll continue to help you look and feel your best in a fraction of the time.